Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Are you ready to get in God's Word today? All right, take out those notes that you got on your way in today. We are in part two of a series that we are calling Define the Relationship. Define the Relationship. We are looking at making your relationship strong. We understand that the quality of your life is dependent on the quality of your relationships. So if you will get your relationship strong, your life can be strong. I'm a firm believer that whatever you feed is going to grow and whatever you starve is going to die. So if you want to feed your relationships, then, then they will grow to be all that God has for them. But if you starve them and you, don't, uh, and you neglect them, they'll never thrive. So we're looking at how to do relationships God's way. And I'm giving you some definitions to make sure you understand what this thing is all about. I talked about in week one to define the center, to talk about what is the center of your relationship? What is that central thing that holds it all together? And I said, the only thing that's going to last is a Christ-centered relationship, Christ-centered friendships, Christ-centered dating and, and marriage. And today I want you to write it down. I want to talk to you to define the purpose. Define the purpose. For you to look at whatever relationship status you're in right now and to define what is the purpose of where God has me right here in life. You gotta, you gotta think of it. I'm a firm believer that there's a purpose to every season that God has you in. And here's the issue. If you forget the purpose, you'll never reach the potential. If you forget the purpose, You'll never reach the, the, the potential. Like, like, for instance, if you, many of you start in the year with, with a real intense goal, like a dream, like I'm going to lose this much weight or I'm going I'm to get out of debt, and then you get to the end of January and a vast majority, I think 90% of all New Year's resolutions are, are gone by the end of January. Why? Because they forgot the purpose. When you forget the purpose, you'll never reach the potential. So what is the purpose of whatever relationship status you're in right now. So if you're single, is the purpose like, I'm just kind of waiting, one day God will bring him, or God will bring her. Like, like what's the purpose? Is it just you and ice cream at lo- alone by yourself at night, like crying? Is that really the purpose of singleness right now? If dating, what is the purpose of dating? Is it, man, just to have a good time and figure it all out? Like, like just date a bunch of people? Is that really, it sounds pretty destructive the way the world does Dating, what's God's purpose in it? And marriage, what's the purpose? And if you don't remember the purpose of your marriage, then when painful and trying seasons come, and they will, then you'll throw in the towel on it because you forgot what the purpose was at the beginning. I'm going to challenge you today to remember the purpose, to stay focused on the purpose of what God has you right now. We're going to look at it in the book of 1 Corinthians Chapter 7. I want you to turn there in your Bibles today, or maybe on your smartphone. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to see it because Paul addresses issues of relationships, especially issues when it comes to comes to sex and comes to sexuality in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now he's writing to a church that he started in an area called Corinth. Now Corinth was a major city. This is not like what you see today and all the little ruins out there. Corinth was five times larger than the city of Athens at the time. You got to think it was a mega city in that region, very influential, but it was a very sexualized culture. 
I mean, their main goddess was Aphrodite. And it was this whole idea of like, it was all about um, sexuality and doing what pleases you and, and experimenting and all this kind of weird stuff. And Paul is addressing the culture and really bringing clear guidance when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to singleness, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to sex. Now, let me just say this, all right? Some of y'all got real worried just a second ago because you're like, I got my teenager or my, my child with me right here in this service, and you've already said sex five times. I understand. Uh, it's going to be PG today. Now, it'll get PG-13 in two weeks from now, but today will be PG. But I want you to lean in and see how Paul addresses the different statuses, the different seasons that many of you all are in. Nobody is exempt. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now, for the matters you wrote. Now, what are the matters? He's talking about relationships. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, it's not, it's not good for you to go out and just sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. And by the way, that still applies for today. He goes, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. He, he brings in biblical marriage right there. One man, one woman having sex together. Look at that. Then verse three, he says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. You're sitting there going, what is this passage talking about? Like, why are you bringing this up? The only reason I'm saying this is to help my brothers out. Come on, somebody. It's just, a, just a, it has nothing to do with the message. Just wanted to preach it today. Now, no, it, 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 has, it has an importance. What? He's saying, listen, there's a reason you're together. And by the way, there's your part of the equation that you need to bring to the case. Like you have a, a duty to each other. And that's not just a sexual duty, like this idea that there's something for us to do for one another. There's a purpose to it. Then let's jump down. Then when he says it like this, now he talks to singles. He says, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Now that's a very big statement right there. Because in our culture, it's kind of like frowned upon, especially in Christian culture, we're always looking at people like, you're still single, what's wrong with you? Paul's saying, no, 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 I want you to stay unmarried. But, and then he talks about those who want to get married. Now this is some of you that are, you're single, you want to get married, you're in the kind of dating world, this is verse nine. He says, but if you can't control yourself, they should get married. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, I'm not going to do a show of hands, but there's probably a lot of people that are burning with passion, especially you come to our Thursday night young adults group. They're all burning with passion. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this season of our life that we're burning with passion? Look at verse 17. He says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Can I just pause for just a second? I want you to hear that. I don't care if you're a teenager, young adult, you've been married for 50 years, or you're a widow. I don't know what season you're in. You're called first and foremost to live as a believer no matter what season you're in. You are a Christian first. You don't, don't say, well, everybody that's single does this. I don't care that you're a Christian. And as a Christian, you're called to live as a believer. Well, dating, it's normal for everybody to do this in dating today. I understand. But you are a Christian first. And as a Christian, we do things to honor the Lord. We live as unto the Lord. Can I hear a better amen today, church? Like no matter what season you're in. 
He says, listen, you're going to live in such a way that you're going to honor the Lord just as God has called them. And he goes like this. He goes, so this is the rule I laid down for all the churches, that we're going to be Christians and how we deal with our relationships. So let me just say it this way. Write it down in your notes. Every relationship status is significant. It's significant. And I think for you to get to the potential God has for you in that status, you got to know what the purpose of it is. Now, we are very prone to only thinking about our current status. And many of you are going to check out when I mention the other ones, and you're going to go, well, I'm not in that season. I don't need to know. You need to be taking some notes because you might have a friend, you might have a child, you might have a grandkid, you might have a neighbor that's going to need that information you're going to pass on to them. Some of y'all that are single, you're gonna to get to the place where I talk about marriage and you're gonna go, well, this isn't for me. Take a lot of notes right now because you're gonna need it one day. Let's break down all three statuses and no matter where you're at, there's a purpose to each one. Let's talk first of all about the purpose of singleness. Why does God have many of you single right now? Why? In our world today, singleness has been one of those things that, that people have looked down on and kind of like, figure it out like, man, am I like a second-class citizen? Is something wrong with me? And I just want you to know this, especially in the church world, we've over-glamorized marriage and we've under-celebrated the potential of singleness in people's lives. You being single is, I wrote it down this way, singleness is not a sickness. Singleness is actually a way for you to set your life up for massive significance in the kingdom of God. There is something great that God can do in your life when you are single. I, I loved my season of singleness. I, I remember my early 20s. I, I loved it. I embraced it. It was in singleness that I went into full-time ministry. I ended up being a, coming a full-time youth pastor while I was single. I, I started a business that was incredibly successful. I was able to get my MBA all while I was single. Like, like I never let single put a lid on my life of what God could do through my life. And I want to help some people in the room today to let you understand that singleness has a purpose to it. So what does the purpose? All right, let's look at Paul. We're in chapter 7. He goes into detail about singleness. I love this. He goes, I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world and how he can please his wife. And all the brothers know that's a lot of work right there. Come on, somebody. He, he says, listen, when you're unmarried, you don't have to worry about all those other obligations. Like, like you just get to please the Lord. But a married man has a lot of obligations. In verse 34, and its interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. All ladies know that's a lot of work too. And then look at verse 35. This is the key verse. If you're single, hold on to this verse. Ready? He says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in un." divided devotion to the Lord. I want you to understand this because this isn't preached about often when it's always like, hey, hurry up, get married, get married, find that person. I want to challenge you. There is a purpose to singleness, and I want you to write it down. Singleness provides an opportunity for undivided devotion to the Lord. Like there should be no other time in your life 
that you can pursue God more than you can right now being single. It drives me crazy, the mentality out there of like, well, I'm going to live it up now because one day I'm going to have to settle down and then I'll get serious with God, serious with church, serious about my finances, serious about all that. And I'm going, you've missed out on what singleness is all about. Your single season should be your greatest season of pursuing God more than ever before. Like you should be involved more, you should be serving more. Why? You should be going on more mission trips, you should be doing stuff for in community outreach. Why? Because you are your affairs are nothing to do with the world. You go, I am only committed to the Lord. Like, like this is a great benefit for your life. Singleness is not a sickness. Singleness is the path to significance in your life if you'll remember the purpose of it. I started thinking about some people in church history. I'm a big church history guy, I love it. And I started thinking of these, just want to encourage you. Amy Carmichael, Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India. She began an orphanage, founded a mission, ministered primarily to young girls who were suffering. She gave her life as a missionary. She was a single woman who God used in a major way. Corey Tim Boom. Corey Tim Boom lived 91 years and never married. Never married. She was a Dutch Christian who helped Jewish people during World War II. Some even hid in the walls of her home. Eventually, her family was imprisoned in a concentration camp, and everyone died except for Corey, who went on to minister to the Jewish people, became an author and speaker. She traveled the world all while being single. Here's another one, uh, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a British theologian, professor, and author of Mere Christianity, and he remained a bachelor most of his life until like the very end, he got in one marriage that some people say he only got in because he was helping a girl with a green card, because it's kind of weird, all right? So we all got our baggage, come on, somebody. He ended up writing 30 books, that were translated in 30 languages and sold millions of copies, all by being a single male. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you might know him from his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. He was a German pastor, theologian, was in prison at a concentration camp for being involved in an assassination plot against Hitler. Come on, don't tell me, well, well you're not married, you're not a real man. This guy tried to kill Hitler. That's a dude right there. This is, this is a man's man right here. But he gave his life for the gospel. He ended up being in prison, and at 39 years old, he was hung, killed for his faith. He never married, yet he changed the world. Let me give you a couple more. This guy just died about a decade ago. It was John Stott. John Stott, you might not have heard of him, was an Anglican cleric who was single for all of his 90 years. He wrote extensively on various topics throughout ministry, including the singleness. Stott went on to be named Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2005. He was one of the greatest leaders in the evangelical church and brought about a new focus on the authority of God's word. His life changed the world, and he was single. Let me give you another one. Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon. Anybody that grew up in the Southern Baptist Church knows about Charlotte Lottie Moon. She, they consider her a forerunner for SBC missions. She was a single woman who spent 40 years in China on the mission field. She's credited with laying the foundation of international mission support that the SBC uses today. Lottie was fluent in several languages, attended a female seminary, and preached the gospel. And, by the way, she was a single woman that God used. And can I give you one more? Maybe you know the, this guy, the Apostle Paul. 
the Apostle Paul. You might have heard of him. Planted churches all over the Mediterranean, wrote a third of the New Testament, founded churches, died for his faith, and he's the one that said, let me tell you, you want to do something great? You're better to be as I am, as I am single. Singleness is not a sickness. It's a path towards significance if you'll learn to own the season God's got you in. Paul said it this way, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. What was he talking about? He's talking about his singleness was a gift from God. Like, like change your perspective. Some of y'all, you walk into your family reunion, they're all like, you still single? Before you used to go, yeah, just, it's just tough. I'm just praying it through. Now they walk in, you're like, you still single? Isn't it a gift from God? Isn't it amazing? You're so tied down with the affairs of the world, not I. Like the Apostle Paul and Lottie Moon, I'm changing the world in Jesus' name. <laughs> I want you to look at it different. Look at your, your singleness, and there's a purpose to it. What am I praying for while I'm single? First of all, I'm praying for contentment. I'm praying that God would make me content in the season I am. I'm not rushing towards what's next. I'm content with what God has for me right now. Here's the second thing I'm praying for. I'm praying for concentration. Let me not get distracted by the things of the world. Let me stay focused on what God has for my life. I'm going to stay concentrated. I'm not, I'm not waiting for that one to walk, help me in the purposes that God has. No, I'm going to be concentrated on what God has for me right now. Number three, I'm going to pray for character. I'm going to say, God, before you ever bring someone into my life, let me be a person of character. Let me be a person that's developed internally. So many times we're waiting for that person to walk in. God's saying, no, 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 I want to develop you right now so that when I bring that person, then you can walk into the calling I have for, have for you. Here's just my challenge for you. For those who go, I'm single and I'm not, I, want to, I want to find someone. I'm not, I'm not even in the dating world yet. Here's what I want to challenge you. Before I find the one, I am going to become the one. I'm going to become the one. And I'm telling you, there's something about owning the fact I'm becoming who God's called me to be, whether anybody else is in my life or not. I'm not waiting for a partner to walk into my purpose. I'm not waiting for some spouse to walk into what my significance. No, I don't need a spouse. I've got my Savior, and he can bring me into my purposes. Can I hear a better amen today, church? There's purpose to your singleness. Number two, the purpose of dating. There is a way to do dating right. Now, I messed this one up because I was in a single season for a long time, and I was super content, and the world, everybody kept trying to like pressure me. And, and I feel so bad for those of their 20s, 30s, 40s, where everybody just pressures you, like, have you found this one? Have you done, I, 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 I sent this person a message for you, just want you to know, I'm like, so I had that a lot. I was a youth pastor, and everybody was trying to set me up with everybody, and I was like, no, I was so content with what God has for me. And then my mind started playing games. It's like, what if they're right? What if I need to pressure this? What if I need to move into this? So I didn't even want to date people, but I was like, I guess I have to because that's what culture tells me to do. So I was like, all right, I need to start going on dates with people. I guess that's what you do. So I found this girl in the youth group. All right, so wait, let me rephrase that. <laughs> she was a leader in the youth ministry. <laughs> I don't want to go to jail. All right, so she was, she was technically older than I was. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's funny right there so I found this girl and I was like hey you want to go on a date with me so she is a youth pastor asking this girl on a date she's like sure so I was like well let's go to Waffle House alright now it was I wasn't ready to date right okay so I just thought where do you go well, I like Waffle House let's go to Waffle House 
So we go to Waffle House and we sit across. We don't even know each other. We weren't even part of the same friend group. None, like none of the foundation of anything. I don't know anything. I'm just like, I just pressured to date because that's what you do. So I'm sitting across. I'm like, hey, I just think, you know, we should probably go on some dates. I want to get to know you more. She's like, oh, Aaron, I'd like that so much. That'd be awesome. So she, she does something that's so bizarre. We're, we're sitting there eating our all-star specials. And she, I'm telling her this. And, and she gets out of her seat. And she comes around to my side, and she sits next to me in the booth. So I'm, I'm trying to eat, and I, like, I'm like, I literally was sitting there like, what are you doing? I'm not a same booth cider. Like, we're not that couple. Like, so she's sitting there, she's like, oh, well, I want to get to know you. And I was like, well, I'm not going to, how can I, I'm trying to eat my food. Like, and I knew at that moment, this was destined to fail. God, there's no way I could be with the same side booth person. It's just not in it. The three weeks later, the whole relationship imploded. And what I've recognized in that moment, it was, it was two years later or so that, um, that, I, that Katie and I got together and that, that it worked out. I mean, it was awesome, uh, the, the relationship we have. But it was, I, I was trying to date just doing it my way, just doing it what the world says. So let me tell you, there's not like a biblical, hey, here's how you date. You do this, 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 this. We tried that in like the 80s and 90s, the church world, and it really failed. But let me just give you some guidance on when you're ready. You go, I'm single, and now I'm ready to date. What should I be doing? Paul tells us. He says, listen, he goes, but... If you cannot control yourself, <laughs> here's what you should do. Which, by the way, here's a good litmus test. Like, how am I, am I supposed to stay single the rest of my life? Can you control yourselves? If you can't, then maybe there's something inside of you that you still need to get married. And he says like this. They should marry, for it's better for them to marry than to burn with passion. So what do we do? We want to get married. We're going to start dating. What's the purpose? Dating, write it down. Dating should serve as preparation for the intended goal of marriage. So I'm not dating to have fun, I'm not dating to get experience, and I'm not dating because of society's pressure. I'm dating because I'm ready to now walk into the covenant that God has for my life. I've become the one, and now I'm ready to start pursuing someone to find the one, so I'm gonna take this serious. Like, like, I'm not just going to go and go, it's going to be fun, and I'm going to give my heart out to this person, and my heart to this person, my heart to this person. No, I'm going to walk in with some seriousness to make sure I do it well in God's eyes, and I'm going to do it with the intended purpose. Like, when people ask you, well, why are you trying to date? I'm trying to date because I really believe that God's called me to be married one day, and I want to do this right God's way. So dating's, by the way, dating's not the destination. Can I just help some couples out today? Like some of you are just like, we're just dating, but there's no purpose of marriage. There's zero, actually, biblically, there's zero purpose of dating if marriage isn't on the mind of the people. All right. That's a whole nother message, but I'll just give it to you. So you should go into it with a little bit of critical eyes of going, is this a person I really want to marry one day? So you're looking for some things that we like to call as red flags. <laughs> so I would encourage you just to bring one of these on the date. Just like you're sitting there at the Waffle House for the first date and you're like, well, they took me to Waffle House. Red flag. <laughs> Not gonna work. You know what I mean? Like, like but seriously, like they, they talked about themselves the entire time, never asked a question about me. Red flag. They keep bringing up their ex. 
Big red flag right there. How about this one? They disrespect the server or the restaurant staff. Red flag right there. Well, uh, well they, they, they don't go, uh, they're not actively involved in a local church. Well, I think I went somewhere on Easter last year. Just, just get your check right then. Just walk out of the restaurant. Just, just, it's a red flag. It's a red flag. Like, like, like they're, they're, how, how, they're full of drama. They're, you know, this conflict and this conflict and this, they're just going on. This person's baby man, this person's baby man. Guess what? If they have conflict with everybody, they're going to have conflict with you. Just some red flags. How about, they own a cat. Red flags. Can we just say it? Just kidding. Just trying to be fun. That's funny right there. Here's my advice for you. Ready? I know, I know we're almost out of time. Listen, listen, don't date them based on their potential. Date them based on their patterns. Our problem is that we're faith people. And as faith people, we're always like... God's going to turn him around. <laughs> then let God turn him around before you start dating him. <laughs> it's like, well, well, you know what? One day she's not going to be as promiscuous. Then let God deal with her heart first. And, and, and let, I mean, let me just tell you, it's so important. Because once you start dating that person, You'll get, you'll get all blinded. Love is all blinding. And you're just like, you don't see any of the problems. And you, you need to make sure you're understanding. Look at their pattern. That's what you're walking into in the future. Which should be a challenge for all of us to set up a good pattern for what we want to see in the future. So while I'm dating, or while you're pursuing in a dating relationship, here's what I'm praying for. And I did this for that year or so before Katie. This is where I was at. And this is, I'm going, okay, I'm going to be serious. I'm not going on those crazy days, and I could just randomly do it. I mean, this is what I'm going. First of all, I'm going to be praying for my future spouse. Let me just challenge all of our singles across all of Tampa Bay and those that are watching online. You should put it at the top of your, your mark. If you're called to get married, if you feel that call to get married, you should be praying all the time. God, protect their, their heart, protect their purity. God, bring, bring that person at the right time. I'm praying for my future spouse. And by the way, I'm dating with the intention that this person could be my future spouse. Now, let's not make it weird. Can we not be that church that's like, every time we go on a date, we're like, I guess we have to get married now. Like, that's weird. All right. So I'm going to pray for that. Here's the second thing. I'm pursuing boundaries. I'm, gonna, I'm doing a whole message next Sunday on boundaries, so I'm not going to hit this so much. But let me just say this. Let me say, boundaries are not to restrict you and to remove the fun. Boundaries are to protect you. Boundaries in dating are so important because once you, and not to go to PG-13, maybe just cover your eyes, your kids' ears. Once you involve sex in it, you no longer see it clearly. So why does God say to withhold that during, during dating, during any time before marriage? Because you need to be able to see clearly this relationship. Because once you get the physical involved, it's a terrible thing to build the relationship on. So, so you got to have boundaries in this. I remember when Katie and I got together, my pastor pulled me into his office and said, Aaron, what's your boundaries? I was like, and obvious boundaries. We're not going to have sex before marriage. Okay, great. He goes, I think you need more clear boundaries than that. I think you need to write them out. So I said, well, what is the boundary? Well, you should have a curfew. I don't think anybody should be driving by her apartment late at night and seeing you walking out of there in the middle of the night. I said, okay, sir. I said, well, what do you think is appropriate? And he said, well, what do you think is appropriate? I said, I think 11 o'clock is appropriate. 
He goes, well, I think 10 o'clock's appropriate. I said, well, I was going to say 10 o'clock too. I think 10 o'clock is appropriate. <laughs> Katie and I both saved ourselves till marriage because we made a point to have boundaries in our relationship. It's important. I'm going to put boundaries in there. And by the way, we, we mapped out all that out. We wrote it out. And it was like our second date where we wrapped it out. Okay, what does a God honor relationship look like? Here's the third one is that we're going to have spiritual growth together. If he or she can't lead you spiritually now, what makes you think they'll lead you spiritually then? If they won't pray with you now, why do you think they're going to pray with you during a hard time when you get married? If, if y'all can't read God's word together now, what makes you think they're going to raise your children in the things of God? So don't wait till marriage to grow spiritually together. Start growing spiritually together now. Like make it part of your dating culture. And if they're weird about that, they'll be weird about it in the future. They're just not the one for you. Let's do this God's way. Can I hear better amen today, church? There's a purpose in dating, amen? All right, I'm gonna close it out with the purpose of marriage. I'll talk a bunch about marriage in the next couple of weeks too, so I'm not gonna go in depth on this one. But marriage is an unbelievable, beautiful gift from God that has amazing purpose. And when you forget the purpose, you'll never reach the potential of it. So what you'll do, you'll quit. And that's why so many marriages are, are folding, are, are throwing in the towel right now, are getting out of this thing because they forgot the purpose of it. What is the purpose of it? Look what he says in verse three. He says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. You're gonna go, Aaron, are you really saying the purpose of it is sex? Of course not. But what he's saying is there's something that both of you are called to bring to the equation. There's a reason that marriage exists that need two people to bring it to the equation to say, let's make this into a God-honoring marriage. So let me remind you of the purpose. I've preached this for years, but let me give it to you one more time as we close this thing out. Four purposes of marriage. First of all, the first purpose of marriage is pleasure. Aren't we thankful for that one? He created marriage for pleasure. Look what he says. He says it's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. And that is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united with his wife. And they become one flesh. That's talking about sex right there. And Adam and Eve were both naked and felt no shame. Like they could enjoy each other. They could have a good time. Like it's a beautiful part of marriage that we can enjoy life together. We have pleasure together. That is both sexually and in other relationship. Like, let me just say, your spouse should be your best friend. It should be the person you want to talk to the most. It should be the person you want to travel with and see the world with. Like, I'm so grateful for my wife. I'm so grateful that, that, that we have intimacy, but I'm also so grateful that we have a relationship with each other. That like, we can know each other and laugh. And she makes fun of me a lot of the time and we have a good time. And like, and it's just such a joy to do life with each other. And I'm saying there's a pleasure in marriage. Enjoy one another. The second reason is procreation. That out of that intimacy comes children. And I'm just telling you, children are a gift from the Lord. They are. They are a beautiful thing that God's given us. And it should be the goal of your marriage to have kids. I'm not, not being weird about it, whether that's biological or adoption. It should be there. That should be the default as Christians. What does Genesis say? He says the first verse challenge. God said, be fruitful and increase in number. What is he saying? Have sex and let it produce a lot of kids. And some of our campuses, man, our Brandon campus, they just, they, they have taken that verse and ran with it. I'm telling you, they just like pop out kids everywhere. 
Kids are such a beautiful part. There's such a weird thing in our culture today. I see it all over. It's just like, oh, we're not, you know, we, we don't want to have kids. I'm like, okay, well, why? Well, just, I don't know. We just don't like them. I was like, well, nobody does. You know, it's like, I, just, <laughs> I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. It's like, oh, you must have hung out with mine. No, it's not true. I said, so much of it is rooted in selfishness. And it's rooted in fear because the world is so destructive. We're like, how do we make it better? You know what actually the solution for the world is? Is for the family unit to be strong. I'm telling you, Washington's not going to solve this. It's the church making families strong that make a society strong. And when the family collapses, guess what? The society collapses. And you know what? It's part of the, the tactic of the enemy to get them to say, well, stop having kids. Why? Because he knows if he can get them to remove family, he's got their society. So, Radiant, here's my commission for you. Some of you have a lot of children in Jesus' name. And if you can't, if there's something medically, I get it. I get it. Then get into fostering and adopting, and let's make a difference in the world today and raise up disciples of Jesus Christ. Can I hear a better amen? All right, we're almost done. We're almost done. Third reason is pruning. Pruning means that you pull stuff out, you get stuff better. <laughs> Let me just say it this way. The very reason. The very thing that drives you crazy about your spouse is the reason God put them in your life. Because God knew. Listen, the goal of marriage is not happiness, it's holiness. It's God's way of making us holy. I said it this way earlier. The voice of the Holy Spirit many times sounds just like my spouse. So when I got, I, te- I, I got a text message after one of the earlier services from Katie. Hey, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> she's at their new Tampa campus. I just want y'all to know she's visiting Tampa. We, just, we don't like go to church separate. All right. So, but uh, she, she's, she, she does, hey, you shouldn't talk to the kids that way. Hey, I think that was more out of, in the flesh. You should have responded. And, and in my thing, I could have put my guard up. Who do you think you are? But I realized it's why God put us together so that we can become more and more like Christ. Don't reject the very thing that God wants to do to make you holy and get that issue out of your life by putting up that wall with your spouse. Embrace it. That's why Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for her to do what? To just make her happy. Nope. To make her holy. Cleansing her. Like, like there's a purification that happens. And you, you meet any couples that have been married 30, 40, 50 years, you're like, man, why do y'all look so much like Jesus? Oh, we, we're together. <laughs> you have to. It, keep, it keeps working this stuff out of your life. Here's the fourth one. I'll close with this one. It's marriage is a great proclamation. What does that word mean? It means it presents the gospel. It preaches a sermon. Actually, more effective than anything I say on this stage is a healthy marriage that's lived out there in the world. When you walk out a healthy, God-honoring marriage, you are displaying to the world God's love for humanity and what Jesus did. That's why Paul says, husbands, you ought to love your wife. Love them. I love that wife as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and take care of their body just as Christ does for the church. And we are members of his body. Look what he says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But then he says it, and this is the mystery of Christ in the church. Your marriage is an example to the world out there today of how God loves us. 
I, I've heard it said this way. I think it's so beautiful that if a lost person comes to you and says, I just don't know how God loves me, then you should be able to respond to that person and say, do you see how I love my spouse? That's the same way God loves you. Can you say that? Someone says, what is God speaking over my life? Hey, do you see how I speak about my spouse? That's how God speaks about you. I don't know if God really cares about me. Do you see how I care for my spouse? That's how God cares for you. Well, let's be honest, we all don't live that out the way we should. But this is why we're in this thing to go, I'm remembering the purpose. The greatest ministry example of the gospel will not be a sermon I preach. It'll be the marriage that I nurture, build up, and give as an example to the world that's out there today. Can I hear a good amen today, church? Lord, as I close out this message, let me pray this over you. Lord, I pray over them right now. I pray Romans 12, 12 over them. Lord, that no matter what season they're in, they would be joyful in hope. Lord, hope-filled. Lord, whether they're single, they're dating, they're married, filled with hope, God, that you're in the midst of it. I pray over them right now that they would be patient in affliction. Lord, there's many of them that are in a trying, painful season, whether it's in singleness, whether it's dating and heartbreak, or whether it's even pain in the marriage. Lord, I pray for them over them. Patience right now in that affliction. Give them the purpose so they can move through that pain. And Lord, I pray faithfulness and prayer. Lord, when we fall short, we lean on you and on your promises and on your word because you are faithful to empower us to do what you've called us to do. I speak over the marriages of our church that they would be strong united, Lord, used for your glory and your honor. No attack of the enemy will be able to prosper over them. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, can I hear a better amen today, church? Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.